Hey, good day to you and welcome to Right On Radio. I really am looking forward to this show because we're going to talk music. And if you've been following the show for a while, you know how passionate I am about music. You know, I find music to be the most pleasing and most powerful medium that's out there. And, you know, we're really pleased to have this special guest. So right before I bring him on, let me do this because I like branding. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. <laughs> All right. Hey, you got to get it on there because it's always good to have branding in there. And you Great. would know that as a musician. Great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have Jesse's <laughs> Motor with us, and I would like to introduce to our audience. The great Billy Falcon. Oh my! Hey, Welcome, <laughs> great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and and I know that singers love this time of day. <laughs> yeah, I sing all times of day. Yeah, but yeah, it's a rough one to record. I could sing; it's fine, but to record, I try to sometimes record when I wake up. It's not a good thing. So, Billy, you've been in the music business uh, how long now? Ooh. I was probably I got I think I had my first record contract when I was like 19 some 66. So wow. I'm so, really bad at math so maybe <laughs> whatever that is it's a long time. Well, it sure is. Well, that'd be 45 years. And I'm just getting started. And you're just getting started. This is not how the music business works. It's it feels good. I'm telling you what. That's not how the music business works, I don't think. I think by now I should be so done. <laughs> I think most people that have done it this long are done. Even if they're big, big, big deals, they've stopped making art. You know, they've stopped uh, making music that moves people. Uh, but I think since I, uh, my music comes when I'm moved by the Holy Spirit. So it never gets old. I don't think it does. I hope it doesn't. But I, I, I feel like it's getting better, um, which is fun. Well, you know, his love is new every morning. And that's, you know, I often say, you know, in business and we can say in the music business or whatever business we're in, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is your undeniable advantage over Absolutely. the world. Absolutely. We're cheating. <laughs> yeah, so to speak, we have, listen, if you're aligned with the creator, you know, everything that is created is created in the, created in the spirit first. Yeah, And if you happen to be aligned with the right spirit, in this case, the Holy Spirit, uh, you're going to create the right stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny how, you know, uh, as a singer songwriter, your, your best stuff is probably still to come. I've always felt that way. Even if it's not true. I, I, oh, I don't know that everybody feels that way. I do. Uh, and whenever someone says, can you play that old song? I don't even know the old song. I want to play what's next. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always the new thing. My daughter would always say, Dad, you always think your, your new song is the best song. I said, it is. Actually, the best song is the one I write tomorrow. That's the way I look at it. It's always whatever the Lord is putting on your heart that day. And, you know, I get that way, too, when the Lord puts things on my heart. It, you know, it'll just be everything will be about that song, you know, because that's what I'm worshiping. That's what I'm praising with. Isn't it amazing yeah. to have that? To have, uh, mm -hmm. What's really even more amazing in the opposite direction is people that never know that. And uh, mm -hmm. that's why I guess we got to be a bullhorn because to, to go through life and never know that connection 
and that it's available to have uh, Jesus be your friend and Almighty God be your father and uh, have this walk and talk and relationship. Um, yeah, I spent so many years know, uh, having him inside of me and never really talking to him, never really knowing him. Um, and, and so I feel like my mission is to get people to uh, know this more. You know, there's just so much more. And get me to know this more. And Jesse knows this more. Uh, Jeff, you probably know this more. Uh, when you talk about ascending and stuff, I just like, yeah. <laughs> I mentioned Justin Abraham the other night on that show. Yeah. And I got, I got a note from someone that follows you that says uh, she wants to talk to me because she follows Justin Abraham. His name is Justin Paul Abraham. It gets wild, but you probably not too wild for you. I mean, it's, it's uh, <laughs> I send it to some folks. They think I've lost my mind anyway. He goes to heaven. Yeah, he fights in the courts of heaven. So we yes. were discussing yeah. fighting in the courts of heaven and the power of worship in that fight. So it was an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, worship is really what knocks the walls down. Worship is our weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. You know, it's it's if you want to take prayer to the next level, do it in a worshipful manner. And mm -hmm. that's been my experience. And I and I'm thankful that God has, you know, given me some abilities with music and things like that that uh that we can use and it, it's amazing just even as an instrumentalist uh, what the Holy Spirit can do through that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I've recently Oh, I, I was in a church service, uh, and it's a great church. It's a, it's a little church in a, above a pizza place. There's 30 people, and the guy is so anointed, and he just teaches, and people get healed. And and uh, uh, there's a train track right outside the window, and a freight train goes by at least once during the service, and all the kids run to the window. It's just, and there's no air conditioning, and there's one bathroom. It's just <laughs> what it is, but he can teach the Bible. Young man, and people have been healed of everything. But... uh at one point he played the song hallelujah right the leonard cohen song and some somebody well-meaning took the song and made it like a jesus song and they completely castrated the song it, it was a horrible it was like a hallmark rendition of of uh this really great song mm -hmm. and my friend who's the pastor said well yeah there, there's no anointing on the first one the leonard cohen version and i kind of go you know what when i heard Leonard Cohen's version in uh, I think the movie Shrek which I hated the movie but when I heard the song I cried but I cried because even on that it felt like the presence of God was on that even though he didn't know the Lord but I think all good things come from God and unless they're actually you know what I'm saying there's an anointing even on some secular music is what I'm saying uh yeah well of course there is and God could put his hand on whatever he wants to put his hand on and if it, if it stirs something in someone uh, that makes them feel the presence of God. I, I feel it. I hear there's a song called Nessun, Nessun Doma. Uh, Pavarotti sings the, the absolute version. I hear that. It, it just, I feel the presence of God. I don't know what he's singing about. I know he's singing about some woman somewhere. But the beauty and the melody, it's like those are, God owns those notes as far as I'm concerned. That configuration of notes, I hear that and I go, when my spirit raises in me, I just go, wow. And that's why I do what I do. I one, one day I want to hit that note, you know? Um. <laughs> well, you know, and what you talked about there, again, it, it's the power of music. And, you know, people think, you know, television is, or movies are such a powerful medium. And it is. Yeah. 
But, uh, you know, take everyone has that one movie where there's a scene that no matter how many times you see it, it's going to draw that emotion. You're going to cry. I challenge everyone to do this. Turn off the sound and watch that scene because you're going to find out you don't start crying until that music comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I've proved it a number of times with a with a number of people. So yeah. Billy, let's let's talk about let's let's go back to the beginning and get some of your story and then get into the music business itself. Uh, talk about you know your your first writing your songs and uh, and that process of going to actually even approach a record company. Oh my, it was uh, I, I, again. I could get lost here. Don't let me please, because I could go. Uh, I started very, very young. I started writing songs. I was 10, I think, because I didn't want to learn anybody else's songs. I want to do this fast. I didn't want to wait around to get good enough to play someone else's song. So I wrote my first two chord song and I started playing it at parties in people's basements. But I just kept doing that. And uh, when I picked up a guitar, it broke my father's heart because he thought I was going to be a shortstop. He thought I was going to play for the Yankees because I had good hands, he says. Um, So by the time I was 19, I guess, and uh, we were caught in record labels, but it, along the way, I ran into so many possible, so many situations. I remember, <clears throat> pardon me, it's morning. I sing. Um, I remember uh, this was an interesting one. Remember who Don Kirshner was? Oh yeah, Don Kirshner's um, rock concert. So I have a band. I'm writing these songs uh, in my from my mother's house. I mean, I was living in my mom's house. I was 19 or 18, about 18, and. Uh, we had been rejected by every record company in the business. They kept saying he sounds too much like Bruce Springsteen. And they were protecting Bruce Springsteen. It was a very funny thing. And they almost felt that we got comments like he's he's uh, he's trying to, he's a corporate ploy to steal Bruce's thunder. I'm in the book, Born to Run by Dave Marsh. They mentioned me saying that I was a corporate ploy. Here I am, this kid. <laughs> my dad's a cop. My mom's a mom. I have three, four brothers and sisters. I have five kids in my family. When I, we have nothing, I'm sitting on the front stoop writing these songs and people think I'm nuts because I don't want to get my license because I want to play music. And these people are calling me a corporate ploy. I thought this was odd. I could have used a little help from the corporate ploy when I was carrying <laughs> a 500 pound ham and organ down my stairs at three in the morning. But uh, but I get a call from my manager. And um, this is to me, uh, this was one of the little dangling little things, decisions I could have made. Uh, that would have taken me down uh, a road I would never ever I, I would never want to. I, I'm so glad I didn't at this point at at every point. But I was um, again. We had been passed on by all the majors, and we were going back at them, you know. And uh, I get this call from my manager in upstate in New York, visiting a girlfriend. I got one pair of pants, a pair of broken shoes, and this raggedy shirt I was wearing, which was I felt like that's how I was supposed to look, and. Uh, I get this call and he says, Don Kirshner heard so-and-so, such-and-such a song, and he wants to see you. Can you be in the city at 11? And I'm, it's like I'm upstate New York. I get in my car with the muffler falling off. I drive into Manhattan. I go up in this office. I'm the first one there. I look like a wreck. Uh, they put me in this office, which was the size of my house. Um, it had that kind of carpet, like shag carpet, like this high. Oh, yeah. White. The grand piano looked like a, a coffee table. That's how big the, the office was. Three guys come in in suits, looking nothing like the music business. And they, they look like bodyguards. 
And they say something to me about uh, Donald being, and I'm like totally intimidated. Everything's so big. I'm like this. <laughs> and the, there's a desk, and behind the desk is the whole of New York City. There's just this incredible vista of New York City. And it looks like that's where God sits, or some God sits. And Don Kirshner comes in. Eventually, my manager shows up. Thankfully, I was a little... I was relieved to see somebody I knew. And then Don Kirshner comes in. He's in full makeup. This is in his, his office with his hair looking just like he was on that show. And he spoke exactly like he, he spoke on that show. And he asked me, he said, uh, I'm looking at the piano. And, and he said, do you play the piano? And, and I said, yeah, I play the piano. I had so much confidence. I didn't play the piano. I knew like four chords. I'd write a song occasionally on the piano. And he said, well, we've, we've got an idea. Uh, and I'm going, okay. He's, so I, I sit and I play the piano. And, and he goes, wow, that was great. This emotional song. I still remember the song. It was some stupid song, but it was very emotional. I was like, uh, and then he looks at me and he goes, do you act? And I go, he goes, because there's an opportunity. And I said, really? Uh, what, what's that? And he said, um, well, we're making a TV show. It's called A Year at the Top. Um, so far, M Mickey Rooney... And the woman from the Poseidon, it's surely something big woman uh, was in the Poseidon Adventure, whatever she was, big Hollywood actress. <laughs> anyway, already signed on. A guy named Greg Evigan and a guy named Paul Schaefer are signed on. We're looking for the Vinnie Barbarino. To, you know who Vinnie Barbarino is? Well, the Fonz and, and you're perfect. I'm not saying you got the part. You'd fly out next week to Norman Lear, who's doing the show. And you'd screen test, but I'm pretty sure you'll get the job. And uh, it pays $50,000 a week, an episode. And I've got nothing. And I'm going, $50,000, what's that? And, uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, what is this guy talking about? He says, you'll make records. You know, we'll use some of your songs, but you'll probably write songs with these other guys. And uh, I said, well, what about my band? Because these guys have been working with me for three years in the basement. Uh, and they said, oh, no, we won't need them. We don't need them. And I looked at my manager and I said, Jerry, tell him what I want to do. He says, Billy wants to make records. And that was the end of that. I went home and my brother, who was a cop, was a very real guy, very down to earth guy, <laughs> very meat and potatoes. Like, I'm the dreamer. I'm, the, I'm, I'm out of my mind trying to do what I'm trying to do. And we were having no luck at all. And here's someone, I, I believe, offering me $50,000 a week. And I turned it down. My brother thought it was crazy. It turned out it was only $5,000 a week, but in my mind, it was $50,000 a week. Well, it wasn't $5,000 a week back then. Yes. was, was yes. pretty big. Yes. Uh, an episode. But I just think, had I... And that show came out and lasted about 20 seconds. Paul Schaefer did go on to whatever he went on to. David Letterman, the other guy, yeah. Greg Evigan, and whatever. But I think, had I done that, that would have been the beginning of a really horrible road down where other people mattered so much less than me. And I think that's what has to take place. I think that may be one of the stepping stones to getting to that place where you sell out. Um, that probably wasn't the big one. Uh, Jesse, you'll be able to tell me, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It, it was just, uh, again, we got a deal a few weeks later, maybe two months later, we got a deal with the company, um, and that was the beginning of a, a new end. <laughs> Wasn't so, the same, but along the way, there were opportunities, always opportunities to either join in something that I, I would never join in um, or get rid of somebody or something 
uh, or step on somebody else to get up a little bit, you know, and I just, that's the one thing I wasn't exactly, uh, living my life as a Christian, the way I ought to have been. I think I was a Christian at the time, but, uh, there were certain things, certain lines I would not cross. And I think that's really important. You find yourself very alone in the music industry when you won't cross those lines. Uh, and that's where I was. I was, I, I was really, I felt alone in the thing. Billy, that's such a big story. And so Jesse, I want to, I, I would like to break down a series of these stories because I think it's really going to convey a much bigger point to the audience. And, you know, we're talking about the music business here, but uh, we're, we're also talking about how, how the enemy comes into our lives. And if you're not a musician as well, and, but, you know, with Billy's story here, uh, first of all, for anyone who's younger than uh, actually even Jesse's age or younger might not know who Don Kirshner's rock concert was, but this was like the biggest show uh, for music in, in the United States. If you got uh, on that show or, you know, got near Don Kirshner, there was something really special about you. So, you know, they had picked Billy out of a crowd, essentially. And here's this, you know, musician with his muffler dragging, you know, going down to, you know, going into Manhattan, uh, going up into this office, you know, mass, and you know, you know what the uh, real estate's like in Manhattan. He sees this entire view of the world. And then you said, uh, Billy, it was like, you know, a God would sit there. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a very strong metaphor because, you know, probably a small G God does sit there. Yeah. What do you see in this, Jesse? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the same things happened, you know, in my life, I wasn't in the music industry. You know, I had started off kind of interested in veterinarian school and, you know, marine biology. And from there, you know, there were connections that were made that got me into pre-med school. And, you know, basically, I was studying to be a heart surgeon. And if I had continued in that, you know, I would have had everything paid for, you know, and there were so many opportunities. Like I was meeting with the, you know, top cardiologists, uh, people in the medical field. Um, you know, they were very interested in my research projects and, um, you know, different things that I had done. I was, um, you know, connected with all these different groups that were coming into my life. And then it was, you know, one day I was sitting at church and um, there was a missionary speaking and, you know, he was speaking about all these different countries and, you know, how much finances each of those countries made a year. And I remember just clear as day, the Lord said to me, you know, you will work on human hearts, but not as a surgeon. And within three weeks, he literally moved me, took me out of that Bible or out of that uh, med school and brought me to a Bible college. And, um, you know, so it was like I had everything that I could have wanted there, you know, in the med school. And then once I started Bible college, it's like you've got nothing. You know, I had to come up with my own money. I had to, you know, find housing. Um you know, it definitely was not an easy road. And then from there, the Lord led me into chaplain school, which again, you know, I had to, I had to work for everything that I wanted, um, including, you know, internships and uh, jobs, things like that. So, you know, the enemy, I, I think that's a normal tactic for him that, you know, he'll offer you the world. And, you know, if, if you decline or, 
or make a decision, you know, that he doesn't uh, like, then he'll, uh, you know, you might get a consequence if you haven't completely said no or turned away. There just might be a consequence that you have to pay or, you know, like you won't ever make as much, you won't be as prestigious, you won't have as much fame. Um, but, you know, he'll, he, he uses people. Yeah. You know, he but, wants to take what belongs to the Lord. So what what's what's really interesting about this story is and and so Billy is offered something, you know, huge and and obviously you're playing with the right characters at the time and you get into those circles your life can be golden. There's no doubt about it. Even if that show didn't work, you're right. in the right circles right. and everything else. But Billy what what stands out to me in your story there is you put your bandmates over the dream. Yeah, I, I, I did. I remember doing that. I just said, no, I can't. I can't do that to these folks. Uh, mm-hmm. And if, there were moments where I went, what did I do? <laughs> when I had no dough and when, when we didn't get a deal immediately. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so so you said it's about three weeks later that you actually did get a deal. And, it was, it was you know, when you're shopping bad. deals, you get turned down by, you know, uh, unless it's really highly solicited um right. you're going to get rejected right um, so many times and first of all tell us what that rejection feels like billy well i was being the songwriter and the singer in my thing i just i found these guys and they were my band uh i was carrying them here because it would always be i'd have to have something good to tell them to keep this thing going because obviously they weren't getting paid i had no money uh it's like they're rejecting you um the trick is, again, I was getting my worth from this way, horizontally. I'd be getting my worth by you hearing my song and saying, wow, you're this or you're that. And I think when when uh, the danger of anything, any art, anybody who's an artist or anybody with an ability, a talent, um, it's that I don't know. I think the really, really talented people are never sure. They're never completely sure. I think if you ever get completely sure of your ability or how good you are, I think you're kind of done because you're not vulnerable anymore. You're not really pressing in anymore. It's like, yeah, whatever I do is good. And that's why I think a lot of times someone's first couple of records are amazing. And then it turns into something that just is a a pale uh, shadow of what was was an artist. Um, That's kind of that's kind of why I'm very thankful for my life, because I'm where other people who have made billions of dollars doing this and had all this glory, uh, I don't have any of that, but I'm, I'm producing, because the fun here is writing this song. When I write a song, I feel like I am absolutely defying gravity. And especially now, because I feel like God is talking to me. Uh, and that's the fun, the, being on stage, singing the song, the fun. I mean, that's where you fly. In between the business part, I never paid it much mind. I never much cared about it. Uh, and I do just fine. You know, I've done, God has seen to it that I do just fine. Um, but the idea being that you're never sure you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the the uh, the Christmas, I call it like Christmas eyes. You know, the guy who sits across the table for you with those beautiful eyes. or And he tells you how great you are. He tells you everything you need to hear. He doesn't give you a check. <laughs> He doesn't pay for your groceries or your uh, or your mortgage or buy you anything you could really that would enhance your life. He just tells you what you want to hear. And when you're telling people what they want to hear, 
you could kind of own them if they don't if their if their foundation is not in the word of god um and mine wasn't i was roman catholic i didn't know the word of god i believed the nativity scene and then i believed the crucifixion you know i believed the resurrection and that's where it stopped i didn't know anything else and I believe you lived your life. And I started to believe if it feels good, do it. Because that's what they were saying. And uh, that was the bumper sticker of the day, if you remember. And uh, and that's what I started doing. Yeah, this, this is mine. But I just think when someone is, again, an artist, they're craving that recognition that, you know, someone other than your mother to say you're really special. Um, I, I love that you brought that out, that, you know, the enemy kind of keeps you in this state of insecurity and, you know, will build up and target your emotions and through that, you know, gains access through your vulnerability yeah. and con control. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that our job as when you do stuff that isn't like meat and potatoes, like you're a baseball player, you hit the ball over the fence. You know what? It's a home run. A go Tiger Woods hits a, a drive, it goes 340 yards, and the next ball goes in the hole. You know what? That was unbelievable. You write a song, and there's a guy somewhere that's going to go, nah, it's no good. It could be the best thing you've ever done. It could wind up being a big hit when you die. Uh, but it's so subjective. So we're dying. We, we, we ache for, as artists, that record, somebody to agree, somebody to agree. And I believe the enemy absolutely uses that. And that's why uh, if your confidence is in anything but him, you, you, you're subject to be really taken advantage of. And I was really taken advantage of for a very long time because I was continually falling off a cliff and you're just looking to grab onto anything. Um, and the, the devil's always there. Yeah, I got you. Take, try this. Try this. Try this. I remember going to my record company, Fit to be Tied, like wanting to swing because we had a record out and it was all over the radio and you couldn't find it anywhere. You couldn't find it in the stores. And I remember, or some other thing would happen and, and it was just wrong, you know, and I'd go up to the president of the label and I'm like, with my manager and I'm just gonna. And then he says, Billy, uh, you know what? My driver's downstairs. Um, you got a show Thursday, right? At the, it's a press show. You do take my driver and uh, he's going to take you to a clothes store. Just, just get whatever you need. I'm that, I was that easy. I was that, I was that easy to buy. It was like, oh, okay. So I walk in there, this guy just killed my dog. And now I'm walking, he just tells me, go buy some clothes and get in his limousine and drive down the block. So I go and I buy a $5,000 shirt and a couple of pairs of pants and I'm little, literally, literally $5,000 shirt or pants, whatever it was. And I'm, I'm happy and I forgot what that he killed my dog. And that's, he kept killing my dog over and over again. Um, so let's yeah. get into that, Billy, because now, so you, you faced all this rejection and stuff like that. You finally get your deal yeah. and tell me, tell me about, you know, just the, initially when you get that deal and, and, you know, the, the, the poor guys who have been volunteering in your band that had to be good news for them. Uh, tell us about that moment. Oh, it was, you know, obviously, uh, that's all you, you would say that if I could just get the deal, you could kill me then and I'm be fine, you know, and that was that kind of a moment. It was just like, yeah, this is it. This is great. Amazing. Amazing. Now, now you begin to worry with everything else, uh, with every good thing that happens again, without this foundation and without being uh, completely grounded in the word we never we don't get to enjoy these things so much because we're worried about losing them as soon as we get them 
You know, it's like the new car. If you think it's going to do anything for you besides drive you down the street, uh, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to bring me joy. This or this, you know. Well, what happens when it gets dented? What happens? The exact opposite feeling of owning the thing. So immediately entering with the record deal was the was the the thought of the exact opposite sensation, celebration to, oh, but now we have to succeed because if we don't, this goes away, and it's always there. And uh, I think I'm so thankful that it's not there anymore. It was there for a very long time. And uh, so we we do that. We had a manager who was a uh, he was just a warrior for the band. You know, he made everybody hate him in promoting me. Um, but we uh, made a record. Uh, they gave us whatever, hardly any money, but we made a record. And uh, lo and behold, the record came out, and it it just blew up. It blew up like mad. I said this the other night, but uh, it was so easy. You know, the hard part was over. I was a rock star. I was on every radio station in the country with like three or four songs because at that point they'd play. They'd go deep on an album if they liked the album. It was vinyl. Yeah, F and FM had really just become a thing. Yes. and Yeah. Yes. It was album-oriented rock, the beginning of it anyway, and progressive stuff. They would play four or five songs. Off I had eight songs on the record. There were five of them in heavy rotation all over the country. Uh, as record companies did then on the new artists, they'd press up 20,000 records or so, unless they really had pushed the button on these people, which I've seen when they decide who's going to be famous and who's going to be really successful. Well, they didn't push the button on it because I was part of a tax scam. I was uh, scheduled to fail. They never expected anything to come of this, but my manager was so wild, he took the records, he mailed them to the radio stations. They weren't going to. And suddenly we're all over the radio and people that didn't have the, the, the record found the record and started playing it in this heavy rotation. And, uh, but you couldn't find it in the store and the 20,000 copies were gone like that. And uh, we were screaming at the record company, like what my, he was screaming at what, why, why aren't the records in the store? Um, I find out later on a couple of years later, why the records weren't in the store. But the thing that interrupted then was a gas shortage, <laughs> an oil shortage which caused them not to be able to uh, make vinyl records. At least they only made like the top 10, I guess, for that year. And uh, it was probably six months before they could get records back in the store. So that's the story of my first record. So but you know what you you said a couple really big things there and I don't want to miss them plus I want to go back to you know just getting the deal and the process that the record company puts you through to get that album out. So the, the first I guess I just want to quickly address the point that you said you were brought in to fail purposely and I don't think people realize how vicious this industry is that they'll do that. Yeah. Um, they'll bring in people just to fail because monetarily it works for them. Um, and, and by the way, they never lose on these deals, yeah. you know? Um, but tell us about, so you, you get this record contract. What does the record contract entail? Uh, do you get to pick your own producers? Do you have complete artistic control over your music? Tell us about the structure of the deal. In this situation, uh, we didn't want their producer. Um, and again, I wasn't playing ball, that's for sure. Um, and when I, uh, yes, so we used, my, my manager produced it with me, I produced it with him. Uh, first mistake, if you want to succeed, is not use their guy. Uh, but I don't think they ever intended for it to happen, so they didn't care so much. Otherwise, they would have fought. Uh, I picked the songs, I picked everything. Well, I just did everything. And uh, 
but they knew what they were going to do. And what they were doing was I found out like after the third record I made for that same company, the girls at the company loved me. They were sweet, sweet. They were a little older and they looked at me like moms kind of, and they thought uh, they loved me as, you know, just as they loved me. They, and they knew what the record company was doing to me. And they showed me papers. Like I'd go in there like, why isn't this happening? And the girl looked at me and she says, I'm going to show you something, but you can't tell anybody you saw this. And she showed me papers where I was sold. They sold shares of me like a horse uh, to people all over the world in $50,000 increments that for some, there was some tax thing or something that they could write it off repeatedly uh, if it was an artistic endeavor. So they sold me so far that success would be really bad because these people would never, they wouldn't get their tax write-offs. There would not be enough money to pay anybody because there were too many of these people. Uh, and at that point, records weren't selling 3 million, 5 million records like they wound up doing later on with Boston and all those bands when they started breaking that sales barrier where if you didn't sell a million records, you were nobody. So in those days, records weren't selling to that degree. So the money wasn't what it wound up being. So they uh, needed me not to have the success I started to have. Um, but I had control, which was very funny. They let me have control. <laughs> and then uh, after that first record, I was very protected. My manager was like a lion around me. Uh, and then they basically uh, stopped giving us money in between records. And we went from being rock stars because we felt like rock stars. We're on the radio. We're on TV. We're on the radio. We're everywhere. I'm on a tour bus going around. Everybody's waiting in line to see me and I'm signing. And, and I'm thinking, oh, we're rock stars, but we're not nothing because it's, it's all, it's like paper. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. There's no internet to keep going after the record company says, see ya. So, uh, we go basically the record come i go and i'm i don't want they don't they don't like my manager they want to get rid of him he's my protection oh yeah and they call me in and they say uh we can't continue this we can't continue to pay the band we can't continue to pay your for your house we can't like everything i have is rented by them and they said uh you got to get rid of him the manager and the manager was kind of, he was uh, the kind of guy who was turning so many people off with his, mm -hmm. his desire to see me successful. And they got rid of him. He wound up kind of going off a little bit and they got, so then I was theirs, uh, me and the band. Next thing I know, it's uh, bringing their producer and he comes in and he's a, he's a nice man, but he was addicted to, I guess, cocaine. Um, and he comes in and he's living in the Waldorf Astoria I'm living in, I don't know where I get, I think I'm still in my mom's house. It was, it was between records and between touring. And uh, he's in a Waldorf Astoria. He brings in a grand piano, a stereo system in those days, so he could listen to mixes and stuff. But this guy's living, I can't imagine what that cost me, his room, as I'm driving into Manhattan with five guys in a car every day to make this record. And uh, we made the record with this fella. And all the initial organic excitement of the first record was gone. Because I think they continued to want me to. I wasn't supposed to win. But they had these deals with these producers. And I don't know what the deals were, to be honest with you. I, I just don't know. Uh, but I do know um, I'm in the room with a guy who's addicted to whatever he's a cocaine. What, I don't know. If it's not a physical addiction, I guess. But he was. Uh, I remember one day he misplaced his coke in the studio. It was like the end of the world. I, I, I didn't. Anyway, and I never did drugs, so this was a weird thing for me. Um, but it kind of continued uh, 
the next producer was a guy who produced a bunch of Rolling Stones records. They brought him in, and he was he was also addicted to. Uh, they called it, uh, I guess, it was Quaaludes, right? He was on. They called it something else in England. He was an Englishman, great, sweet man, used by the Rolling Stones, and just you know, like everybody else, the Rolling Stones worked with. They seem to live forever, and everybody else is completely uh, either dead or ha- might as well be dead. Um, so anyway, you, so yeah, that's the way it kind of went. You touched on a couple things, though, and I and I really want to unpack this. Uh, and, and, and what's amazing to me, Billy, is you you kind of turned the right way, and God had His hand on you this entire time. It sounds like to me, but uh, you said that you know the the record company stops giving you money. Uh, tell me how that how the record company gives you money after you enter into your contract with them. Well, they they give you money by uh, renting your life. You know, um, I remember after the second record flopped uh, because it sounded like pablum. It sounded like nothing like the first record sounded like it was recorded in a basement and the radio liked that. And then suddenly we put out this very pristine thing where we're trying to act like the big boys, you know, as opposed to just be what you are, because they try, always try to get you to be something other than you. Are. I remember being told by the president of the label, maybe you ought to get an all girl band. And I'm going like, what? Like, but that's it's Spinal Tap. I mean, it truly is. If you see the movie Spinal Tap, it's it's a it's a farce, but it's so much like the, you know, there there's no there's no colleges in Boston anyway. Who cares? <laughs> that was the story of my life, kind of. It would you always and you know what? Because you wanted to hear it. Oh, the reason you showed up at a club, and the poster for your show is not even in the window of the club, but it's rolled up in the corner because they're waiting for the record company guy to come put it up. That's the kind of, uh, it's just insane. So they, the way the way they would give you money, they'd never give you money. They would basically rent stuff. You know, I mean, I rented a car by the week, by the week for a year and a half. By the week they paid. I don't know why, you know, but we were happy to have a car. And that was the, that's what the, the pitfall is. You're happy because as long as they're giving you something, you feel like you're somebody, um, though you're nobody. And you certainly will be nobody when this thing is done. You'll be like vacated. And uh, so they don't really give you money that we go, I'll put a down payment on something or money to put away in case, you know. No, you never get any money. Um, And then I had, you know, I never got, uh, I would never get um, the reports. Why am I not thinking of the name? You know, the words, just what happened this year on paper? Record sales, publishing. I never got anything. I never got anything. And that's criminal. I mean, it's absolutely criminal. And you're selling your name. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for the audience, just most most artists fall into this category. And, you know, Billy was kind of protected through this. It sounds like he didn't go in too deep. Well, first of all, he didn't do drugs and stuff like that. So they really couldn't own you all the way, no matter what. But... What happens is when you sign that deal, you know, first of all, they give you a credit card and they say, live like a rock star, you know, go and do it. It's unlimited. Go do whatever you want. They, they get you to use their producer and they give you a tour bus. They set your tour schedule for you. You go and what you don't, what bands don't realize is they're being charged for all of that stuff. Like you're being charged for that bus. You're being charged for the bus driver. You're being charged for the roadies. You're being charged for the lighting guys. You're being charged for everything. And you don't actually get a penny 
until every cent of that is paid back. In other words, your album has to blow up big to get any money. And some some obviously do cross that threshold, but most don't. And that's a, they just literally you're owned by the record company, but you feel like you have money because yeah. you have all these things supplied to you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how they own your soul. Mm-hmm. I would think that's how it starts anyway, right? It, it, it depends what you'll do in the midst of all that and how <coughs> and what you'll do to further what you're doing uh, or, or what you won't. You know, I think it's really important. And there was a bunch of stuff I wouldn't do. I remember being backstage at a show, not that this was a big deal, but a guy throwing me a bag of cocaine and a mirror and with a razor blade. And to be honest, I was so naive. I, I didn't know what it was. And I grew up, I grew up with, uh, in a neighborhood where the kids started sniffing glue. My buddies sniffing glue was the first thing they started doing. And, uh, within years of that, they, I'd hang out with them in the park where we hung out and they're on, they're doing three tabs of acid. And I'm the only person there. I'm chasing girls. You know, everybody else is too stoned to do that. I'm just chasing girls. That was, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just had no, I, I just, uh, thank God because, uh, if I like something, I do it to death. You know, I just, and that's why, I, you know, I work the way I work. Mm-hmm. I love writing songs, so I just write them. I, I'm obsessed with writing songs. I like playing golf. I'm obsessed with playing mm-hmm. golf. Um, so I try to obsess on good things. I obsess. I love seeing people healed. I am obsessed with people being healed. Um, yeah. So when I turn on to something, I turn into kind of a lunatic for it. So I pray, I thank God that I had no desire to taste what drugs felt like, because I think if I liked it, I would have been the best. I would have. (laughs) (laughs) But there is, I think, almost sacraments, you know, and that would be one of them to do drugs with them. You know, Uh, there are there are definitely sacraments that they have. Uh, I wrote a song called Purple Church years ago and people Mm -hmm. it's on the last record called Holy Fire. And um Somebody asked me to write a song for a movie called Purple Church, but I wound up writing the song and, and they never used it for the movie. I wrote it about what I wanted to write it about. And the idea being that you're going you're gonna to go to one church or another. You're going to drink from the chalice of either from the one true God or you're going to serve, like Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody. And uh, they have their sacraments and they have their dances and they, they have their worship. It's just not the one true God. Um, right. And that uh, is something I didn't partake in. I just didn't. So I didn't wind up at the parties. I've been invited to situations that I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, go. <laughs> I didn't. Um, and things happened uh, in that situation. I went, oh, my God. I just dodged such a bullet. I was invited to a, a fellow's house. This guy's name was Roy Raiden. Okay. He was... Uh, wanted to manage me. He sent some suits down to a show I did in, in Manhattan in the street. And he sent the, and the, my career was beginning to falter. It was between records or the first record didn't do what everybody expected. And at that point I didn't know that I was a tax write-off. I had no idea. Um, so he comes, he sends this guy with a briefcase. He, again, nothing like anybody in the music business. And he comes up to me after he looks like an accountant. He goes, there's a man named Roy Raiden. He'd like to speak to you. And Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I'll speak to this guy. He lives in Southampton. Me and a girl from the record company drive out there on a Saturday afternoon. Big, giant guy. Big, very, very uh, unhealthy-looking man. 
and his girlfriend, who is very odd, living in this uh, this ridiculous mansion. I mean, it was so big in Southampton. Everything was uh, dark and it was creepy, but it was it was big. He managed big like Hollywood stars, but old Hollywood stars like uh, Lawrence Welk. I think he managed stuff like that. <laughs> and he wanted to manage me. And in, in this little conversation we had, he wanted 50% to manage me. Because if he managed me, this would definitely happen. That's what he said. Huh? There's no, In other words, he had the connections to make this thing happen, but he wanted 50%. He took us to dinner. Afterwards, we wind up in his bedroom, and him and his girlfriend are sitting on the bed. She's clipping her toenails. Why are we having coffee in their bedroom? I'm like, oh, this is really weird. They tried to get us to stay over. We didn't, but he invited us to a party. Invited us to a party the night after or something like that. Um, we didn't go. At one of those parties, six months later, there was a story in the New York Post. I think it was one of the all the, all the newspapers. This woman named Melanie Melanie Holler was raped and and beat up and tied up and beat up and raped at one of his parties. Um, a year later, they found him chopped to pieces, and his and his his remains in in the woods. <laughs> this is my, the guy who wanted to manage me. They found him in pieces in the woods. So she, Melanie Holler, obviously had some people that loved her. And this guy, uh, must he did somebody very wrong. But this guy wanted to manage me. And again, uh, did I dodge a bullet there? Oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, so I, I, when I think about it, I've been so close to so many really crazy, crazy things. And, and like you say, uh, God's hand. Uh, I always say this when I, I got two little grandsons and uh, I spend a lot of time with them. I I'm seeing them every day. But uh, when I'm walking with my little grandson that I could kind of walk in a parking lot with, one is too small, you got to carry him kind of. Uh, his name is Ryder. He's he's three. And he's uh, he's just my best friend in the world. My hand is always on him. If I'm not, if it's a place where he could kind of be free to walk and I've got his hand, my hand is on his back. It's always on his back. And God said to me, that's exactly how I am with you. My hand is on you. Mm -hmm. I'm steering you around this stuff. So stay tuned, you know, keep, uh, and, and I think that's the most important thing in the world that we just pray without ceasing simply to me means yeah. just continue to know that he's there. He's there in everything. And uh, I do feel like his hand is on my life, you know, Amen. in every situation. And, and I love when he points out, let's see where your hand is on that kid. You see the way your hand, that's how my hand's on you. And that's how my hands on him um, and all my all my children. It's, that's what's amazing about our God. And I want to get on to glorifying him and actually getting you to perform as well, Billy. But, but just before we do, because I, I just want to use this last example to illustrate. So, Jesse, we're thinking about this party he's invited to and this, you know, woman. And it's probably something like that happened at other parties as well. If they had got Billy to participate in that or be an accomplice of some kind, he would have been a superstar the next week. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's usually, we call them setup situations where initially they'll set up a situation where they get pictures and that's kind of how they loop you, mm -hmm. but they will elevate you along with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I think as an artist, they really want you to participate. And, you know, as an artist, they want you to to do the drugs. They want you to do perverse things. They want you. And the more opportunities, the more little steps you take down that ladder or, you know, literally down the ladder to go up the ladder. Right. And uh, then the higher you go, you you know, you had mentioned uh, a guy like Bruce Springsteen. Well, I don't know a lot about him, but I'll tell you, he he's taking steps down that ladder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I was surprised to see him in that uh, this four hour documentary I mentioned about the Illuminati from this kid who was in it. Oh no, Freemasons. Yeah, Aitlin Childs, yes. the five hour one, and he shows the pictures of all these folks, and it's just mind boggling. I mean, not that we didn't know that, but when you just see it, it's like, what are they doing? What is all this and that and the other thing? It's just what? Uh, yeah, he, he has. He's gone the way of Robert De Niro, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Another yeah. guy who I, I would think I used to kind of get a kick out of his work, and now I, I don't want to see his work anymore. Mm-hmm. No, you can't even look at him. And, and you look at an artist like Katy Perry, she started off as a Christian worship leader. Well, it, it, it goes to show you what. Uh, that you can be right you can be standing up there and you could be professing to be something and that's the people that when when they get there jesus is going to say i never knew you i never knew you um that's ama- amazing though isn't it i never liked their music but i see those videos uh and i only see them in clips on some of these shows that'll show them because i won't go looking for katie perry but cannibalism uh yeah and, 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 you know, the thing is, you know, you, there's a perception, you know, everyone wants to be a star. So, first of all, why are they called stars? That's a really interesting decode right there because they're stars because they, who were who were the falling stars, right? Yeah. You know, they're being controlled by angels and uh, fallen angels at that. But, Damn you know, man. there's this perception of this because they could have anything. They got the yachts. They got the planes. They got this. You know how miserable their lives are? These people are miserable. And just like you said, Billy, you know, uh, what if that uh, yacht goes away tomorrow? What if that jet goes away tomorrow? What do I have to do to keep this going? And they are absolutely miserable because of this. And the only joy they get is when they escape through drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. The enemy uses them. You know, as you were saying that about the stars, Jeff, We have to go back to Genesis 1 where, you know, the Lord decrees that the stars will determine the times, the seasons, and all of that. So think about that, you know, as they call these individual stars, what do we see happening? You know, culture, uh, you know, eras, they're creating all of these times, seasons, things that are being played out. Hmm. Amen. So... Listen, Billy. Let's let's get into some uh, some of the good news that uh, and some of the stuff you're doing. Uh, I'm just gonna put forth a challenge to you musically it, right now. Would you play the most recent song you've written or something that you're working on right now? Oh, uh, I guess no. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I wish I would have known. There is- <laughs> well, that wouldn't be a challenge then. You know, here, here's what I'll do. I don't I'm not gonna be able to sing it, I don't think. Let me see. Here's, I will I'll read you these words. And it's called Warrior. And I, um I'm not I'm not a military uh, 
I'm not a military guy. I don't own guns, although I think it's a really good idea. I'd, I'd be scared to have one. Um, but I probably, I think I may do that sometime soon and maybe go take a class so I don't want to blow my hand off. Um, but I see, obviously, we're in a battle, right? We're in a contest. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I think that's really important that uh, my last song, my first song was called Never Surrender, not my first song, but the, in this kind of thing here, Never Surrender. And then the next one's called Wake Up Sleeping Giant. And I use a lot of visuals from uh, just you know, battle. And the battle is obviously, uh, we have the shield of faith uh, and the sword of truth. That's our job. You know, that's our part of the job and just standing up and raising our voices, I think. But this, so this is a song called, it's called Warrior, but uh, it's, let me just read the verse for you. I don't know if I could sing it. Let me just, man. <laughs> I don't even know what kids. Hey, listen, if, it, if it's that unfinished, you don't, and you know, you don't necessarily want to give away lyrics to something that isn't completely undone. But uh, if you have something, man, I, I just, I'm always looking to see where you're at right now. Forgive the melody because I'm not going to. All, all his children, the blessed billions, the one the sun set free. No, wait a second. <laughs> this is this isn't live, right? It don't matter. <laughs> all, all his children, the blessed billions, the ones the sun set free, sanctified apple of his eye, didn't fall far from the tree. Forgotten ones he rescued from the land of broken toys. Holy soldiers, shoulder to shoulder, praying with one voice. Praying with one voice. My God is a warrior, commander of the angel armies. My God is a warrior when the enemy surrounds me. My God's a warrior. Eagle battered, torn and shattered, caught in a hurricane. Flood waters rising, freedom's crying, and they're calling for rain. The devil spits, it's time to quit. No hero's gonna come. Now he ain't going nowhere, no way. Love's already won. My God is a warrior, commander of the angel armies. My God is a warrior. When the enemy surrounds me, lost he found me, arms around me. My God's a warrior. Do not be discouraged when you feel the darkness closing in. 
Those who are with us are more, more than those who are with them. Do not be discouraged when you feel the darkness closing in. Those who are with us are more, more than those who are with them. My God's a warrior. My God is a warrior, commander of the angel armies. My God is a warrior. When the enemy surrounds me, lost he found me, arms around me. My God's a warrior, warrior. My God's a warrior. Wow, I made it through. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Falcon. Billy, it, it takes a competent musician to step up to a challenge like that. And I want to thank you. I was blessed by that song. And Jesse, this is how the spirit works. What were we talking about right before Billy joined us? Yeah, we were talking about this exact same thing. Um, <laughs> I, I woke up to a very odd vision this morning. Um Literally, I, I had Michael standing over me, and I, I'm somebody, if you hear my whole story, wow. I, I could count the number of times up until the past few months where I've even seen angels. Usually, I, I never saw them. I could only see the enemy side. But anyway, I wake up with Michael over me, and he literally tells me that there's a horde out for me today, and that he and his his commanders are going to hide me in the shadow of the almighty. And I was like, okay, what do I do with this? <laughs> so anyway, your song was perfect. Cause it, it, he's it, a warrior. Yeah. <laughs> what you just said, my, I, I begin to lift off the ground. I have to tell you, I'm just one day. I want to actually get off the ground, but just hearing what you just said, it just like, yeah, it's yeah. good. He, he commands the heavenly armies. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Billy, uh, having said exactly what you just said, I've, I've, I want to get two more songs in if I could in this program. And we're, we're really blessed to have you. And, uh, in fact, I, I'm going to ask if I can feature some of your music on our, uh, every Sunday we do a Bible study. And right now we're teaching the, uh, the book of revelation. And I would love to start off with a, a worshipful piece. And if I could feature your music on the show, we'll do it, uh, for quite a while. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. The, uh, the, the, the next challenge, and you know, this comes from my experience as a musician as well. And, and by the way, I'll give you, give you the final one as well. Just the, the song that really is your most intimate song, the, the one that you like to play live the best, you know, there's always one song and I, and I know in seasons it's going to change, but uh, there's always one song that, you know, at that time when you get up and you're playing live, it just really resonates. But before we get to that, there's always a song that, uh, you know, as as musicians and particularly as a Christian musician, I would say, you know, at some point you're channeling, <laughs> you know, it's just coming through you mm -hmm. and 
And if there's a song that uh, you really feel that just came through you uh, that you would like to feature on the show today. Sure. I, I kind of feel like it all come through me. <clears throat> when I look at, uh, when I look at the lyric of, of uh, most of the songs, I realize I'm not that smart. Um, and there have been days where I, I sit down to write a song and um and not anymore, but years ago, because I, I believe he's been giving me songs my whole life. Um, and after uh, I lost my wife, she was 29 years old a long time ago, and I had a baby. Uh, she left me with a baby. And I was like in my 30s. I was a widow and I had a little kid. And uh, something happened when I lost her. Uh, we were Christians, and I never expected it to go that far. And um, But... In terms of beauty for ashes, and I'm a firm believer in beauty, that God absolutely, when unjust things happen to his children, that he uh, somehow figures out a way to to make it work for good in their lives. He doesn't, uh, yeah. And uh, he took my ability to write songs or the craft I, uh, my ability or craft I had, and just somehow dipped it in a, a deeper, uh, if it was a, if it was a color, it was a deeper color. It, 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 Suddenly I was writing songs that didn't just serve me and I was singing about girls or some girl I was trying to impress. That's what we do. Uh, somehow the songs were moving folks, uh, moving folks to like a better thought. Um, some people would write me and say, I stayed married because of your song. I would, <clears throat> there was a woman who came on an autograph line uh, when the, the record was kind of blowing up. This was in the eighties, nineties. <clears throat> and uh, I was standing on an autograph. I was signing. Michael W. Smith was over here. He wasn't a Christian artist yet. And Ricky, the other guy, Ricky Martin, was over here at another table and there were lines. Everybody had their lines. And we were all new artists. And uh, there were all these people lined up. And I recognized three girls <clears throat> from another show. And they were strippers. And they were very sweet, but they were strippers. I didn't know strippers. They were just nice, nice girls. But I knew they were strippers. And behind them was an older woman. She had to be in her 70s. And she was holding what looked like a macrame cross or a cross made out of palm or something. And it was just weird uh, contradiction. Uh, strippers, I wanted to talk to them. And this old lady who seemed to be crying. And I, I went, again, a surreal moment. And I went, can you guys let her come up here? I'd like to see what this is about. Comes up to me and she says, um, she says, I wanted to give you this. And she gives me a cross. And she said, your song, Heaven's Highest Hill, the song I wrote about losing my wife and telling my, my daughter her mom wasn't coming home, which was the hardest moment of my life. Um, she hands me the cross and she said, um, my grandson saw his mother murdered in the kitchen of, his, of their home. And he hadn't spoken a word for a year. And when we played him Heaven's Highest Hill, he spoke. And I'm now crying holding this woman, the strippers wow. are still there. <laughs> but um, I just look and I go, you know, it, it ain't me. It ain't me. Cause I, I, you know, God gave me those songs after my wife passed away. This is the second part of my career. This is not that earlier part where I was a tax write off. This is the first record I made with John Bon Jovi as the producer. Um, that's another miracle. That's a series of miracles, how God saved my life after my wife passed away. It's a whole nother story. Um, but that was that first, it was a record called Pretty Blue World and uh, I had a hit on it and blah, 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 blah. But uh, there was a song called Heaven's Highest Hill um, about it when uh, 
How do I tell my baby mama's not coming home? How do I tell myself I'll be staying alone? Oh, I can't stop crying. Kind of went like that. And uh, it was about sitting on the bed with my, taking my daughter, putting her on my lap and, and explaining to her. And I knew she'd be coming down the hall any moment and I'd have to tell her we weren't going back to the hospital to see her mother that day. Um, blah, the, the hardest thing I ever had to do. Um, anyway, but God has been so amazing. Um, that's why I say beauty for ashes because at that point it was just ashes. It was just ashes. I, I felt like I was being buried alive and my poor wife, she was gone, you know. Anyway, did I just digress? <laughs> Well, no, listen, so there's there's that song that, uh, you know, just came through you and it usually comes through you quickly, you know, Um, and I respect that you probably have been channeling uh, all this time uh, from him because the greatest artists do. You don't care if it's new, right? No. No. No, Let me play you something. This is the song that saved my life. When I say Jesus saved my life, but this is the song that delivered us from... I don't know what. I mean, I was just gone. I was so gone. Um, do I have a capo? Oh, there it is. Uh, I was in my car. I'll tell this really fast. I was in my car on the way to uh, pick up my daughter. This was a couple of years after my wife had passed away. And I, again, I was a poster child for a cautionary tale. You do not want to see this happen in someone's life. And because to that point, my life, the hardest part of my life was I wasn't a rock star yet. And oh, poor me. Um, but now I had this beautiful baby girl that I'm taking care of. She is my everything. And uh, I'm a Christian. I spoke in tongues, so I'm absolutely born again. Uh, but I had gone from teaching the Bible with my wife on the bed in Manhattan with eight people in the room to now I am broken off. I have no idea who I am anymore. I don't know how God functions in my life anymore. Where I was so sure, now I wasn't so sure. I didn't blame him. But I'm in a car, and this song takes place on the road in front of me. Everything in the song was there and I'm having a conversation. I'm the guy who said, I don't hear. I hear people say, well, God told me where to park my car and I'm going to get out of here. I don't hear that. I don't hear that. I'm that guy. Uh, um, Well, but all along God has been singing songs to me, which is really silly. I'm lucky I get music too. Um, (laughs) But this song took place in my little car that began to overheat on the, the Van Wick Expressway or the Grand Central Parkway. There was a Met game over here. There was a, a, the beach this way, about 10 miles, and everybody's going there but me. I am going to pick up my daughter, who I left at my brother's house in Long Island, so I could go out for the first time since my wife passed away. On the town, because a buddy said, you got to go out. It was two years. And I went out, and I didn't drink, but I drank. I felt so miserable. I'm sitting in my car, and God begins to tell me, look in that car. And that's what I see. And this this is the song that comes from it. Two years later, uh, Bon Jovi's calling me and telling me these are the best songs. Well, this being the key song was the best songs he'd ever heard or anybody would ever sent him, whatever it was. And uh, a few months after that, I'm in the studio with all these superstars making a record that saves my life. Anyway. Um, and the name of the song, Billy? It's called Power Windows. Has, Power, yeah, Windows. Power Windows. Billy this Powell. is a song that people used to tell me we stayed married because of this song. Uh, and I, again, like I said, all glory goes where it's supposed to go because it... It ain't me. Charlie drives a brand new 
Mercedes Benz, he's got another one just like it, just like all his friends. His wife is playing tennis and his kids are off at school. He drives home to his empty house, sits by his empty swimming pool. But he's got power windows, he's got power bricks, he's got a power bed. Push a button and it shakes, he's got no one to talk to and tears are rolling down his face. He's got the power of love. Power of love. Lewis drives a beat up 69 dart, swears it's the statue of Mary, keeps the car from falling apart. With Gracie right beside him, sitting closer than a smile. She's got her head on his shoulder. He loves to drive and hold her. He got no power windows, got no power bricks. He ain't got no power, nothing, but he got what it takes. He's got Gracie's arms around him and a smile on his face. He's got the power of love. No air condition, no cellular telephone. He goes rumbling down the highway, listening to his AM radio. One arm out the window and a smile upon his face makes you wonder how it got there till you see him look at Grace. See him look at Grace. He's got the power. Ain't that the power of love? He's got the power, ain't that the power of love? He's got the power, ain't that the power of love? He's got the power, ain't that the, he got no power windows, got no power bricks, he ain't got no power, nothing, but he's got what it takes, yeah. He's got the power alone. Oh my, my voice. Pardon my voice, folks. I'll come really sing it later on for you. You'll be able to hear me. <laughs> I was blown away by that. Wow. I can certainly see that is one of the best songs. It was uh, The craft behind it is incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, funny, it's just, it was a conversation with God. And I kept going. He said, look in that car. And I saw the first guy in the Mercedes Benz. And I thought, no, I don't want to look in that car. This guy has more in that car than I have in my whole life. Everything I need in my life is in that car. And, and God said, keep watching that car. And I go, no, I don't want to watch that car. <laughs> I'm arguing. And then he says, no, watch that car, dummy. And I watch. And a minute later, the guy got a phone call. And within a minute of getting a phone call, God's, and I'm going, oh, great, he has a phone. My life just got worse. His life got better. Who has phones? It was 19, whatever it was. There were no phones. This guy had a phone. And a, a minute later, he's screaming at someone on the phone. I see a vein popping out of his neck. And I go, no, I don't need what's in that car either. And then God <laughs> says, look at that car. And there's that piece of junk. It was a 69 Dart, had more body work on it than paint. And God said, watch that car. And I, I said, in my heart of heart, I said, 
just because this sucker is happy. He was the happiest man I'd ever seen. Happiest man I'd ever seen. And I'm going, he's maybe something wrong with him. Why would he be happy in that car? And I didn't think about cars in those days. I didn't care about cars. But that day in my car, cars were the only thing that mattered. God impressed upon me cars mattered. And I see this guy and he's so happy, so happy. And I'm going, he's full of joy. And I'm going, why is that guy happy? Look at that car. My car's starting to overheat. And then I, I get, I start moving like three miles an hour as opposed to two miles an hour. We're in traffic. It's a hundred degrees out. I smell the car overheating and I look and he's got a woman pressed up against him. And together they were the happiest people I'd ever seen in my life. Um, that's what God put on my heart. I don't know what they were. They might've went home and beat one another. I don't know. But for me, <laughs> they were the happiest people. It was like a picture of bliss and blisses. It doesn't get no better than bliss. And uh, yeah. And I went home, wrote the song in 20 minutes. So it was easy. You know, God just said, here you go. You know? Wow. And then somewhere along the line, I played it for someone. They said, yeah, I think you're saying that power windows thing a little too much. And I said, no, I'm not. You know, the words, there was the temptation, change it, change it, you know? And I went, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And again, it's, it literally saved my life. Wow. What a powerful story. And then of course you end up with a studio with guys like Bon Jovi and tell us just briefly what he's like. He's a good guy. Uh, you know, he's a really, uh, I tell you that the, John's best quality is that he's, he's so loyal. He's loyal to his bandmates. You know, those guys, he's loyal to him. He's loyal to the, you know what I mean? And he's a very, uh, would you say moral? He's a very, you know what I mean? He's not in the soup with those folks, you know? Um, yeah. again, I, but for me, he's like, uh, he's been like a brother. Uh, um, and, and he's a very charitable man as well. He knows where I stand, you know, he knows. And, but the, the, uh, again, I don't really, it's hard to tell. He lets me lay hands on him. Like I'll be in the studio with him. And he's struggling with some singing thing and I'll always lay hands on him. And he does something like this, like he's in, you know, and I don't know, you know, and we talk and he's right there with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in. And I'm going, I hope you're in. I hope you're in. I hope he's in. It's hard when you're at that level. And I did think I saw him. I thought, think he was in that video, um, which surprised me. But maybe I don't know. I don't know if that's enough. You know, uh, the Australian uh, video. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Aitlin Child. John's, John's a really uh, good dude. Obviously, he's been married to the same woman since you know his high school sweetheart, and that's for real. You know, and he's a good dad. So he's a good guy. I mean, as as those folks go, I don't care. I can't imagine anyone being better you know um, well listen we're gonna we're gonna ask our army to pray for him anyways and yes, uh, yes. and you know just to, to wish blessings on his life and obviously it looks like he has led a blessed life but if he doesn't truly have that relationship with god and we don't know if he does or not yeah. but we just want to say that to flat out but let's just pray that he does have that uh because if if god can truly turn him into a worship artist Wow, what a witness that would be! And well, we that's, our, that's my it's prayer. It's funny, we've had our moments. He, he, we'd, we'd be writing a song, and and we always, we used to always write, and it'd always be all these little religious things he'd like to go to, you know, whether it's a temple or this or that or angels, and um, and uh, we had a song called Halo, and uh, I had brought it actually, the verses that was I left the chorus out because I was bringing it to him and. And he left the room and he comes out and he goes, Halo. And he sings Halo. And I went, Yeah, great, Halo. Okay. And it was about, in other words, wherever you are, he's there, you know, and that's why he wanted to. I said, Okay, Halo. And uh, 
then at one point we were recording and it didn't it got messed up in the studio never wound up making the record but he really had it was going to be the big single off the last record and and he looked at me at one point he says i want to make jesus happy i want to make you happy and i want to make me happy (laughs) (laughs) making him happy would be having a hit single making me happy would be making jesus happy (laughs) but so he wanted to take it and make it faith-based without going too far because the idea of having a, a hit record on the Christian, he'd love that. It's another trophy to collect, and he likes that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, and of yeah. course, Bon Jovi is very famously quoted as, don't bore us, get, get to the chorus, yeah, right? Exactly. So showing yeah. up without a chorus to Bon Jovi is probably a wise thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Billy, just before we go out, uh, play that one song that, you know, if you're playing live today, uh, what's that one that really resonates with you in the audience and you feel that synergy uh, that's happening? You know, it might change over the years, but there's there's always that one song. And if you're on tour today, what what song is that? I guess it would just one of two, but I'll play I'll play uh, the one that has been uh, it's called Never Surrender. And uh, I think if I were to play it, I haven't done it. My tour consists right now of of. Uh, being in the house and walking across the room and doing this. It really does. It's funny when you, before you're on, you feel like you're in the, the green room, which is very weird because uh, you're alone. You know, you're always alone in the green room. Yeah. So this has been funny. I said, I got to get a, I got a little electric car in the garage. My nephew has one of those little Jeeps. I think I'm going to bring it in and, and drive it around like my tour bus. So I get over here. <laughs> or maybe come up on a motorcycle. I could be like that guy, uh, the Patriot <laughs> street fighter, whatever he is. With his motorcycle, I don't know. I don't know nothing. Um, here we go. So this is called Never Surrender. And uh, I actually wrote this. I love singing it, but I, I wrote it uh, after cursing at the TV set. Um, when I heard the president uh, say, it, I might be able to have a barbecue this year. Uh, and, and I might be able to have a few folks over if I went and got that thing and uh and wore that thing yeah you know stick me when i'm dead because that ain't ever happening um and i didn't do this i refused I, I did have to get put it on on a plane other than that i didn't do it i didn't do it I grocery store but didn't do it people hated me the people working there loved me because me and my girl go in there and we we bless people we we uh, speak into them uh, to me, it's so important for us to be generous people with our our hearts. Uh, there's so many people uh, that need people to speak into their lives and engage. You know, the un- the people that in their own minds, even they're, they're checkout people, they're the guy behind the counter. And uh, people don't have time for them, especially with this thing on. It's so easy to just turn into this zombie. And it's still, I mean, as much as that seems almost passe or it should be, you still go and see it. The people are still masking up their little babies. And I'm going, what is going on? Anyway, so I wrote this uh, after looking at that dude on the screen telling me, if you'll just, if you'll just wear your mask and get the thing, and maybe, just maybe, you could have three people and one hot dog at your house for the 4th of July. So like two rolls, one hot dog, and a can of beans, a small can. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I cursed at the thing because how dare you, you know, how I love that Americans would think, how dare you at that? Whereas I think in some countries, they might not think, how dare you? It might be, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll just listen. And I think more of us need to go, how dare you? 
Uh, and that's the next song, which is Wake Up Sleeping Giant. There's so many people so asleep. Uh, but this is called Never Surrender. Here we go, folks. Hopefully, I, again, forgive my voice. It's early. Alive and well, I'm wide awake. Won't take your brand, I'm not your slave. You serve your God, Lord of the flies. I pity you when you meet mine. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Your bloody mouth unsatisfied. God sees the trap you set for me. He'll not be mocked, I will be free. We will not bend, we will not break. How dare you touch what God gave? We'll never give and never give up, never back down, never surrender, never surrender. Your fear will not make me behave. I won't march in your masked parade. Your hollow threats won't shut me up. I won't bow down, enough's enough. You'll say you'll give us what we need, as if you own the air we breathe. Stand up 100 million strong. Thought we'd lie down, well, you thought wrong. We will not bend, we will not break. How dare you touch what God gave? We'll never give and never give up, never back down. We'll never give and never give up, never back down. We'll never give and never give up, never back down. Never surrender. Never surrender Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death Just keep going, keep on going Jesus with me every step Just keep going, keep on going Walk through the valley of the shadow of death Just keep going, keep on going Jesus closer than my breath Just keep going, keep on going We will not bend, we will not break. How dare you touch what God gave? We'll never give and never give up, never back down. We'll never give and never give up, never back down. We'll never give and never give up, never back down. Never surrender. Just keep going, keep on going, Jesus with me every step. Just keep going, keep on going, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Just keep going, keep on going, Jesus closer than my breath. Just keep going, keep on going. Wow. Wow. That is a song for the day. And, and that is the American spirit uh, epitomized. We will not back, back down. You know, we'll never surrender. Amen. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Falcon. I don't do this on the show much. Wow. Wow. That power windows. Like, man, we are blessed. Uh, by the way, I'm going to give you my personal phone number, and uh, and we're, I want to exchange and get a, get some uh, get some links of the songs we can play on our uh, Revelation Sunday. 
That would be wonderful. Um, and if people want to hear the song performed properly and sung, I'm just having trouble here. If you could tune it, that'd be great. Anybody listening, if you take the video yourself and tune it. I'm kidding. Um, but you could get the songs at billyfalcon.com and they, you could just take them. People could pay if they want. They could take them forever, for free, whatever. I just want folks to have the music. That's important to me. And, and there's a powerful video to that song you just played, Never Surrender, as well. I think so. Um, and the new one, Sleeping Giant, which is kind of in along the same, it's a different, but this in terms of the same kind of power of it, I believe. Uh, yeah. Thanks, though. Oh, man. Would you come back to the show, Billy? Absolutely. This was great fun. Do you always do it at nine o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Not always, <laughs> but, uh, but quite often. Uh, we might be, you we know might be changing I, our ways. I did something at three in the morning with uh, Prime Minister and Jerry Foley, who I love, those guys. And he gets up really early, so he's a little later. He's a little later than me, so I had to get up at three to do it. And I was singing this stuff at four in the morning here, uh. <laughs> and it was a little easier. I think it's easier in the middle of the night than it is this early. Uh, funny, or it maybe probably just, is. Well, yeah. a musician's life is typically in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> yeah. kind of built that way. But this <laughs> is fun. You guys are great, and uh, I'm just yeah, thank you. So nice to see you again so soon, Jesse. Yeah. But we'll see you again. <laughs> That's I don't right. know when it's seven. Are you on that? No. I got to drive <laughs> over there and come back at seven. Boy, back and forth. It's the easiest touring I've ever done. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you, Billy. And uh, and Jesse, any final word? No, I, I'm blown away. It was a great time ministered to my heart. So thank you, Billy. Oh, my and, pleasure. And, uh, and where are we going to see Billy at, at seven? I'm at with... Uh, um, What's Jody? Uh, Jody. Okay. How do I yeah, say Jody Jody's Le last name? Jody Ladolte. Wow, that's a mouthful. She On her website, it's probably a Warriors Rise. No, it's, it's not. It's Denise Boland. And, oh, okay, Denise Boland. And uh, Denise, I had a long yeah, conversation with. She's really sweet, but Jody's been amazing. She's amazing. I mean, I wouldn't know you guys without Jody. I mean, I know you're probably seeing you on YouTube, but in terms yeah. of making contact she's done so much to uh help what we're trying to do and just get the music to folks and uh, do what i can in this uh thing we're in which is quite entertaining <laughs> well and listen when when jody gets her teeth into something she's gonna do it and you're right uh jody well jody didn't actually ask us to have you on the show she's like get oh, no. Billy on the show <laughs> oh, yes okay. Marine, <laughs> yeah, she's she's uh, she's amazing, amazing. Uh, she she is definitely a friend of the show, and she's on our uh, Sunday shows as well uh, every Sunday with Jody. So thank you, Jody, for the introduction to Billy. Um, well, what else to say? Uh, you've been watching right on radio. Uh, we're thankful for you. We bless each and every one of you. Um, tune in uh, next time. We're gonna have a great another great episode, but. In the meantime, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Amen. Right on radio. Right on radio. That's great.